This is Chapter 18 of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Book One, Volume Two, Chapter 18 Joan's First Battlefield. About noon I was chatting with Madame Boucher. Nothing was going on, all was quiet when Catherine Boucher suddenly entered in great excitement, and said, "'Fly, sir, fly! The maid was doing in her chair in my room, when she sprang up and cried out, "'French blood is flowing! My arms! Give me my arms!' Her giant was on guard at the door, and he brought Dolon, who began to arm her, and I and the giant have been warning the staff. Fly, and stay by her, and if there really is a battle, keep her out of it. Don't let her risk herself. There is no need. If the men know she is near and looking on, it is all that is necessary. Keep her out of the fight. Don't fail on this." I started on a run, saying sarcastically, for I was always fond of sarcasm, and it was said that I had a most neat gift that way. "'Oh, yes, nothing easier than that. I'll attend to it.' At the furthest end of the house I met Joan, fully armed, hurrying toward the door, and she said, "'Ah, French blood is being spilt, and you did not tell me.' "'Indeed, I did not know it,' I said. "'There are no sounds of war. Everything is quiet, Your Excellency.' "'You will hear war sounds enough in a moment,' she said, and was gone. It was true. Before one could count five, there broke upon the stillness the swelling rush and tramp of an approaching multitude of men and horses, with hoarse cries of command, and then out of the distance came the muffled deep boom, 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 boom of cannon, and straightway that rushing multitude was roaring by the house like a hurricane. Our knights and all our staff came flying, armed, with no horses ready, and we burst out after Joan in a body, the paladin in the lead with the banner. The surging crowd was made up half of citizens and half of soldiers, and had no recognized leader. When Joan was seen, a huzzah went up, and she shouted, "'A horse! A horse!' A dozen saddles were at her disposal in a moment. She mounted, a hundred people shouting, "'Way there! Way for the Maid of Orléans!' the first time that that immortal name was ever uttered, and I praise God was there to hear it. The mass divided itself like the waters of the Red Sea, and down this lane Joan went skimming like a bird, crying, "'Forward! Forward, French hearts! Follow me!' And we came winging in her wake on the rest of the borrowed horses, the holy standard streaming above us, and the lane closing together in our rear. This was a different thing from the ghastly march past the dismal Bastilles. No, we felt fine now, and all a-whirl with enthusiasm. The explanation of this sudden uprising was this. The city and the little garrison, so long hopeless and afraid, had gone wild over Joan's coming, and could no longer restrain their desire to get at the enemy. So, without orders from anybody, a few hundred soldiers and citizens had plunged out at the Burgundy Gate on a sudden impulse, and made a charge on one of Lord Talbot's most formidable fortresses, St. Luc and were getting the worst of it. The news of this had swept through the city, and started this new crowd that we were with. As we poured out at the gate, we met a force bringing in the wounded from the front. The sight moved Joan, and she said, "'Ah! French blood! It makes my hair rise to see it!' We were soon on the field, soon in the midst of the turmoil. Joan was seeing her first real battle, and so were we. It was a battle in the open field for the garrison of Saint-Loup had sallied confidently out to meet the attack, being used to victories when witches were not around. The sally had been reinforced by troops from the Paris Bastille, 
and when we approached the French were getting whipped and were falling back. But when Joan came charging through the disorder with her banner displayed, crying, "'Forward, men! Follow me!' There was a change. The French turned about and surged forward like a solid wave of the sea, and swept the English before them, hacking and slashing, and being hacked and slashed, in a way that was terrible to see. In the field the dwarf had no assignment. That is to say, he was not under orders to occupy any particular place. Therefore he chose his place for himself, and went ahead of Joan and made a road for her. It was horrible to see the iron helmets fly into fragments under his dreadful axe. He called it cracking nuts, and it looked like that. He made a good road, and paved it well with flesh and iron. Joan and the rest of us followed it so briskly that we outspeeded our forces and had the English behind us as well as before. The knights commanded us to face outward around Joan, which we did, and then there was work done that was fine to see. One was obliged to respect the paladin now. Being right under Joan's exalting and transforming eye, he forgot his native prudence, he forgot his diffidence in the presence of danger, he forgot what fear was, and he never laid about him in his imaginary battles in a more tremendous way than he did in this real one, and wherever he struck there was an enemy the less. We were in that close place only a few minutes, then our forces to the rear broke through with a great shout and joined us, and then the English fought a retreating fight, but in a fine and gallant way, and we drove them to their fortress foot by foot, they facing us all the time, and their reserves on the walls raining showers of arrows, crossbow bolts, and stone cannon-balls upon us. The bulk of the enemy got safely within the works, and left us outside with piles of French and English dead and wounded for company a sickening sight, an awful sight to us youngsters, for our little ambush fights in February had been in the night, and the blood and the mutilations and the dead faces were mercifully dim, whereas we saw these things now for the first time in all their naked ghastliness. Now arrived Dunois from the city, and plunged through the battle on his foam-flecked horse, and galloped up to Joan, saluting, and uttering handsome compliments as he came. He waved his hand toward the distant walls of the city, where a multitude of flags were flaunting gaily in the wind, and said the populace were up there observing her fortunate performance and rejoicing over it, and added that she and the forces would have a great reception now. Now? Hardly now, bastard, not yet. Why not yet? Is there more to be done? More, bastard? We have but begun. We will take this fortress." Ah, uh, you can't be serious. We can't take this place. Let me urge you not to make the attempt. It is too desperate. Let me order the forces back. Joan's heart was overflowing with the joys and enthusiasms of war, and it made her impatient to hear such talk. She cried out, Bastard! Bastard! Will ye play always with these English? Now verily I tell you, we will not budge until this place is ours. We will carry it by storm. Sound the charge. Ah, uh, my general, waste no more time, man. Let the bugle sound the assault. And we saw that strange deep light in her eye which we named the battle-light, and learned to know so well in later fields. The martial notes pealed out, the troops answered with a yell, and down they came against that formidable work whose outlines were lost in its own cannon-smoke, and whose sides were spouting flame and thunder. We suffered repulse after repulse, but Joan was here and there and everywhere encouraging the men, and she kept them to their work. During three hours the tide ebbed and flowed, flowed and ebbed, 
and at last La Hire, who was now come, made a final and resistless charge, and the Bastille Saint-Loup was ours. We gutted it, taking all its stores and artillery, and then destroyed it. When all our host was shouting itself hoarse with rejoicings, and there went up a cry for the general, for they wanted to praise her and glorify her and do her homage for her victory, we had trouble to find her. And when we did find her, she was off by herself, sitting among a ruck of corpses, with her face in her hands, crying. For she was a young girl, you know, and her hero heart was a young girl's heart, too, with the pity and the tenderness that are natural to it. She was thinking of the mothers of those dead friends and enemies. Among the prisoners were a number of priests, and Joan took these under her protection and saved their lives. It was urged that they were most probably combatants in disguise, but she said, "'As to that, how can any tell? They wear the livery of God, and if even one of these wears it rightfully, surely it were better that all the guilty should escape than that we have upon our hands the blood of that innocent man. I will lodge them where I lodge, and feed them, and send them away in safety." We marched back to the city with our crop of cannon and prisoners on view, and our banners displayed. Here was the first substantial bit of war-work the imprisoned people had seen in the seven months that the siege had endured, the first chance they had had to rejoice over a French exploit. You may guess that they made good use of it. They and the bells went mad. Joan was their darling now, and the press of people struggling and shouldering each other to get a glimpse of her was so great that we could hardly push our way through the streets at all. Her new name had gone all about, and was on everybody's lips. The Holy Maid of Vaucouleurs was a forgotten title. The city had claimed her for its own, and she was the Maid of Orléans now. It is a happiness to me to remember that I heard that name the first time it was ever uttered. Between that first utterance and the last time it will be uttered on this earth, ah, uh, think how many mouldering ages will lie in that gap. The Boucher family welcomed her back as if she had been a child of the house, and saved from death against all hope or probability. They chided her for going into the battle and exposing herself to danger during all those hours. They could not realize that she had meant to carry her warriorship so far, and asked her if it had really been her purpose to go right into the turmoil of the fight, or hadn't she got swept into it by accident and the rush of the troops. They begged her to be more careful another time. It was good advice, maybe, but it fell upon pretty unfruitful soil. End of chapter 18